0: When I was in school as a landscape architect, or studying to become a landscape architect, we went through all the different types of design, all the different types of gardens throughout the world, and there was something that I saw about these Islamic gardens that really, I found amazing. And I've actually been using some of the design principles really on almost every design I've done throughout my life. But there is this this oasis feel about This beautiful garden where they're tying plants and geometry and water, and and it's such an incredible, uplifting feel. I thought, you know, rather than me talk about it, why don't we go to a, um, well, someone who really knows what they're talking about. Now, Emma Clark has written a book called The Art of Islamic Gardens. We have her. She's uh, over in the middle of England someplace that we have tracked down through our great resources here. And uh, I believe we have Emma on the phone. Ms. Clark, are you there?
1: I am.
0: Yes, I am. Hello. Wow. Thank you so much for joining us from uh, across the pond, so to speak. Um, and I would just like to say, I, I love this book that you have written. I'm um, so inspired design-wise. And I thought maybe you could give us a, a brief, um, maybe a brief outline on the elements of Islamic gardens and how, how they affect people and just how beautiful they are and how they how they're put together. I know I know. a few minutes is not enough. Hopefully we can do a whole show maybe on this beautiful garden technique. But if you could just enlighten us a bit.
1: Uh, well, yes, that's a big question. You might have to interrupt every so often just to um, remind me of the many elements. But I think first and foremost, of course, you were talking about an oasis. And, I mean, the Islamic garden did really grow out of the fundamental oasis, the, the, the two principal elements, which is water and shade. And... Um, I mean, and this was uh, when the Quran was revealed in the 7th century, of course, um, it, one of the main chapters, the chapter of Mercy, talks um, about this, the uh, gardens of paradise. And you could say, really, that any Islamic garden is a kind of way of recapturing this paradise. So to give us an idea of the paradise garden that we hope to go to, and also just to give us, um, it's also a, a symbol, It's it's a way of reminding us that um, the garden on earth is transitory, but the one in heaven is eternal. Exactly. But um, uh, more practically speaking, you know, how do how do we capture some of this this contemplative feeling? Because I think that is the special quality of Islamic gardens. There is the the intention that's behind it. The um, this intention of r- reminding us about this world in a way being a symbol of of, of a higher world. So the water in the water in the center of an Islamic garden is is a kind of an echo of the fountains which are described as being in the heavenly garden and the shade, of course. But above and beyond that, we have many other elements. You mentioned geometry, the fourfold design, which is called the Chahar Bagh, which is, this is a Persian word because they excelled in gardens in, in Iran or Persia, as it used to be called. Mm-hmm. Um, And balanced with this, of course, is very luxurious growth and very luxurious trees and shrubs and flowers and plants and scent. And it's
0: such a contrast between, you know, and I think that's what makes the oasis is the contrast between the area around the garden and the garden itself.
1: Yes, that is extremely important. I think this idea of sanctuary. Because um, they're wonderful. Um, I mean, if you've driven through the desert at all, and actually you're in Texas, I think, and I think there's (laughs) desert there. We have all parts
0: of strange um, seasons and um, geography here in Texas. Yes, ma'am.
1: Yes. Well, I think probably England fits into one corner of of, of Texas. So um, (laughs) we have (laughs) walked. (laughs) <laughs> we have a more limited um climate here but i mean if you imagine yes in the middle east you um when you see something dark and green and your eyes have been used to sand and gray and dryness and heat it's really quite miraculous the effect that the green can have on the eye and the sound of water as well so all the and and as you say it becomes a sanctuary you you it, it's a sort of haven and there's. The idea of the walled area. I think paradise comes from the Persian word again, paradesa, which means enclosure. It means, you know, it's a walled area. Mm -hmm. So within, there is this fantastic sort of, well, oasis, one one always comes back to the same word, but it's an oasis of lush green and and running water. I think the idea of running water is very important. It's never, or it's very rarely still. I mean, it can be still in a pool so you have the wonderful reflective qualities, but Running water is very important, and there are many different, many different features in an Islamic garden in different parts of the Islamic world where the water can run over carved stone. I noticed, I I did, I had a quick look at the website before, um, before this interview, and I noticed you have some carved stones in some of your gardens, so the water runs over it. Yes, ma'am. And then the light, the sunlight catches on it. You see all the whole sort of, and light is very important, and the the idea and the pergola with um, patterns, which you get in Mughal, India, a lot. It's not really pergola. These, they're called jali screens. So you have
0: the sunlight... <laughs> <That's laughs> you know the jali, J-A-L-I. <laughs> J-A-L-I?
1: You have, you have nice. the sunlight coming through the screens. Um, this is very important. And the whole link, another element of Islamic Garden, is, the, is this link with architecture, actually. It's, very, it's an important um, idea, the idea of the sort of outside room. Oh, if that's what I move, love so much
0: about it, because that tra- you. there seems to be it's all about living space in in one area slowly just moves into the outdoor living space from the indoor living space and the architecture and the structures tie it together so well
1: exactly exactly this is this is um an essential element really especially if you travel i don't know how much you've traveled or how many of you've been to europe but the most one of the most famous islamic gardens we can say is at the alhambra in spain yes um that, that was um, my
0: introduction. Now, I was not there, but studying it is what was my, um, I guess what caused me to just become so wondrous and wanted to study this type of gardening because that was the favorite of all the ones we studied back in school. I said, this applies to my day-to-day life more so than any of these other gardens
1: yes especially if you especially if it's hot where you come from there's because i mean what's so beautiful there is you just go from one sort of small space to another there these i mean the idea of the garden room has been a, around for a long time but i sort of feel that they've rather excelled in that and the many different um fountains you but they're all very they're very sober in a way you don't have this sort of gushing water which you get in municipal fountains quite often we get in in london we get these sort of huge, huge affairs with right. water everywhere. But the idea of water in Islamic garden was really very, um, it was very, it was quite subtle and and it's a very inti- and,
0: and very intimate practical. scale, isn't it? It's, it's so intimate and it's though. an intimate scale.
1: Right. It, yeah, very, very. Especially the Alhambra and the Life, the Life gardens next door. You never feel overwhelmed. It's something really is very, very magical about about that garden. Even though, of course, it you know it hasn't been. It's been under Christian rule for seven hundred years or something now, but um, no, I think as a first taste that of, uh, of an Islamic garden, that, that I would go for that. The water, also in, the in shade, Seville, and, yes, I mean many. Obviously, I can. I'm sure, as you know, it's been manifested all over the Islamic world in different um, in different ways. Mughal gardens—they've excelled, of course, in the mausoleum garden, where you, the Taj Mahal, being being the most famous example, which you know just simply wouldn't have the effect it has if it were not at the Head of that really magnificent garden with the fountain and the. the Well, it gives that sense of unity or order and and quite frankly I'm so pleased you mentioned that because that is fundamental you've obviously had a look at my book or you just know it anyway (laughs) well I've learned a lot from Sean and I pretty much am kind of boring I don't you know I have to have a sense of order in order to feel um, calm or settled or whatever and um, I love the water out there because I think it does bring life or activity into a garden when nothing at all is out there but when you hear that water trickling or moving and just that simplicity it just seems like life there's activity right but that, that sense of order is so important to me that things are They're in their place, but that that sense of unity too that ties that place in to you you know when you walk into that garden, so mm. no, I'm not an expert in any way, but i I know how I feel when I enter certain gardens well, no, that's all that's really important things to say because I think the sense of unity underlies everything, and it it needn't be too overt, and you know the order can be quite subtle because one doesn't want it to become regimented and too obvious because you want to have a lot of planting. As a balance, you know, the, as a balance to the order, so you know the geometry underlying it might, you know, it might not be obvious. But as you say, there is this underlying sense of unity, and that really comes from a, I mean, from a certain understanding of what what the Quran is about. But not just the Quran, of course. I mean, um, you know, all all religions have have this idea of our connection with the world around us. Exactly, and right. It's a sort of cosmological connection, and and as you say, with with ourselves and I think it's about centering there's also this idea of a of a a kind of journey when you go into a garden and I've noticed where what you know where does one end up in a garden you always end up around water because that's where we feel at home and that's you know there's this in Islam in the Islamic sort of cultural aspect there is this understanding that water is a symbol of the soul as well so I think when you're sitting next to it you can you know you can really begin to appreciate that if one has the time to sit and, right, and, and that's the key thing taking the
0: time to sit and mm. just enjoy and well um miss Clarke I'll tell you what the uh, the book is now I'm not even sure when you wrote this book I should probably find it because uh, when was this when did this book come out the art of Islamic Garden of the Islamic um, garden? the
1: art of the Islamic garden well it came out in paperback about two years ago, but I wrote it about maybe at least six years ago actually okay yes. well, I mean I, it hasn't
0: yeah. <laughs> well, I, I hope that we have an, an opportunity later on to um, have a more in-depth discussion about this because these gardens and the techniques are so applicable to the gardens uh, that we need here—the very small gardens, the the small areas we have to work with—to uh, create that outdoor space, which is a transition between our uh, the inside of our houses and outside, especially in this climate. So. Um, I really appreciate your time and hopefully you'll let us call you up at whatever time you are over there in the middle of uh, England now so we can continue this discussion later.
1: Very good, very good. (laughs)